What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. And that moment of, holy shit, my body can do that. And just having that over and over and over again. And so the lesson is, and I think that this applies to all sorts of transitions because our bodies are constantly in transition. There's always something to learn about our bodies and about how pleasure lives in our bodies, moves in our bodies, is experienced through and with our bodies. Lucy Fielding is a therapist, sex educator, and the author of the book, Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments. After we spoke for this episode, I couldn't help but imagine what Lucy would have thought if she had encountered a book like hers, like Trans Sex, early on. That they didn't seems to be part of what led to its creation. As a heads up, you will hear a few examples of transphobia shortly here. Like so many of us, Lucy observed many such examples early on, well before they had the language for their own trans identity. You know, the earliest pieces of the journey start like in the mid-1990s. At that time, depictions of transgender people in the media shaped what, in many ways, the masses believed. And they weren't good. That was my first exposure. Those images of like the crying game and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, seeing them in theaters. As a kid, Lucy didn't even know the word queer yet. For me, I was a goth kid. And so like, you know, that was, that was my word for queer. I think I often had this relationship to certain forms of masculinity that I just didn't really gel with. But seeing these images on screen of like a trans feminine person being forced to disclose that they're trans and then, you know, bombarded with either vitriol or a sense of like revulsion, horror, you know, even like nausea, like in the crying game in Ace Ventura, like Men are literally vomiting at the sight of a trans woman's body. Lucy told me she wasn't thinking about these things consciously at the time, but seeing that... It did kind of hold me back, you know, in that sense of like, well, why would you explore gender? Why would you explore certain aspects of how you embody gender erotically when that's how you get treated? Some 20 years later, when Lucy was in her late 30s, she started training as a sexuality professional. They were attending conferences, hearing experts like Esther Perel, Emily Nagoski, and Doug Brown-Harvey speak. They're really inspiring me. At the same time, I'm feeling these shifts in myself like, okay, maybe it's okay 
now to explore whatever this is, this inchoate feeling. And yet I was still bedeviled with these questions of like, will I be lovable? Will my wife want to stay with me? Because I'm polyamorous, will other partners want to date me? Will I be fuckable? Will I be fuck able in that sense of like, what will fucking look like for me if I, if I explore this? Those images Lucy saw on the film screen in her youth continued to replay in her mind. But now they had something else, a sense of curiosity and possibility coupled with increasing knowledge about sexuality. Lucy also had a trusted therapist with whom she was exploring gender in earnest. They also started taking in media with more positive and realistic depictions of trans people. A a zine called Fucking Trans Women by Mirabelle Weather that was indispensable. And my therapist at the time put me onto that. Lucy also found Alison Moon's body-inclusive book, Girl Sex 101 Helpful. I am a girl, so, you know, it was instructive for me for having girl sex. And these just blew my mind of what the possibilities were. And then as I started playing, it really took starting with myself, starting with exploration of my own body and finding that even without hormones, before hormones, that the ways that I was experiencing pleasure in my body started to shift. Lucy recalls a vivid example of that shift. I was on campus in my counseling program, and I had just done like my first like aerial silks inversion in the trees of the campus. It was just such a euphoric experience. And I just kind of like collapsed on the ground and I started having a 10-minute full-body orgasm. Aerial silk is a form of aerial dance, by the way. Think Cirque du Soleil, only amateur style in this case. I do it because, like, I love it. And and I actually kind of suck at it. And there's, like, a freedom to suck at it. Although that lengthy orgasm makes me think Lucy rocks at it, no matter the performance. I also love the image of her flying through the trees and landing in that kind of bliss. Lucy compared that orgasmic experience as like a second adolescence, the joyful kind, when you can remember that some of the awkward parts can be fun. And that moment of, holy shit, my body can do that. And just having that over and over and over again. And so the lesson is, and I think that this applies to all sorts of transitions because our bodies are constantly in transition. There's always something to learn about our bodies and about how pleasure lives in our bodies, moves in our bodies, is experienced through and with our bodies. Lucy has learned and continues to learn a great deal about pleasure and what their body is capable of. And it all started with self-exploration. As Alison Moon writes in Girl Sex 101, so many of the things you can do 
with a partner you can do with yourself, you know? And so I think it starts from self-pleasure practices. For the first year of her second adolescence of sorts, Lucy set her sights on pleasure beyond the genitals. I didn't do so from a place of dysphoria, as in like, I don't like my body, I don't like my genitalia, none of that. It's like, I, I fucking love my body. I love what it can do. But I wanted to start from kind of this idea of what happens if I completely approach my body from a beginner's mind? In the same way that I would approach a new partner's body from a beginner's mind. Like even if I performed oral sex on a number of vulvas in my life, I'm not going to be like, oh, that is a vulva. I'm going to do the same thing that I've done all these other times on this new vulva. No, I'm going to ask. And we're going to follow both verbal and nonverbal cues about like what feels yummy to you. What kinds of touch do you like? What kinds of intensities? Lucy started those practices with her own self-pleasure experiences and then also in partnered erotic play. And she had a lot of fun in the process. If you heard all of that and you're thinking, wait, what exactly is sex that decenters genitals? Here's an example. Lucy pointed to a lesson they learned from sexological body worker Betty Martin. She talks about as like one of the primary lessons, kind of reconceptualizing our hands as pleasure. Because we normally think of our hands like we grasp things, we take things. If we're in an erotic context, we're giving pleasure with our hands, right? But get this, most of us have as many nerve endings in our hands as we do in our lips and our genitals. There's so much pleasure to be experienced through our hands. And so she asks the question, you know, like, who is this for? So going back to the oral sex example. I can engage in oral sex from a place of, I am focused on my partner's pleasure as I'm going down on them. Or I can really just like say like, I would really love to go down on you because I love the entire sensory experience, like the scents and the smells and all these things. That's not to say that all of Lucy's experiences were easy breezy as far as letting go and enjoying. Her learning curve to more pleasure and ease required something you may relate to. You know, because I think that there's a lot of times, and I've certainly had them, where I don't think that this is a trans experience. I think that this is a cis experience. I think most bodies will experience this in some way, shape, or form in their lives. This sense of like apologizing for your body, explaining it away, some feature of your body that you just anticipate because of the cultural scripts that are attached to it. You know, what and like what good sex is and what bad sex is and how certain parts are supposed to be used and whether they're supposed to be used. I certainly had those moments where as I was negotiating kind of like, well, what are we going to do today? I'd say, oh, I don't have a vulva, you know, apologetically 
you know, and there's nothing to apologize for. My parts, I call them my clit, and they are magnificent. And I know a fuck ton about my body. I probably know more about my body than most cis people know about theirs and how to experience pleasure through it. That is that is magnificent. You actually made me think of a time when I had intense erotic pleasure in my hand. And it was so like shocking because again, as you said, like we don't think of our hands in this way. Do you remember a moment where a part of your body surprised you or you explored a different part of your body that is not considered by society a sexual part. Oh God, I can think of so many. The earliest one was like the nape of my neck, having that touched in certain ways or grabbed in certain ways. I had a partner once, the first time we played, it was like they weren't choking me so much, but kind of like the V between the thumb and the index finger, the way that that kind of fit the V of my collarbone and the kind of pressure of their palm against, I think it's my breastbone, and thinking about, oh my God, that felt so containing and holding and really yummy. And it didn't even have to go into like breath play for it to just kind of feel like, whoo, this is really special. A few months ago, Lucy was talking to a friend, someone who is also into kink play, And the collarbone came up again. She was talking about like someone biting her collarbone. And she said, you got to try it. So the next time Lucy played with someone, she asked them to take that nibble. And oh my God, it was orgasmic. It was so fucking amazing. I mean, like whoever knew, like you could bite that area and... Whoever knew, I'll tell you, disabled folks know, kinky folks know, trans folks know, queer folks know. And why do we know it? Because like we've had to imagine into possibilities and think about different ways of experiencing pleasure in our bodies. You know, um, in the kink community, we have, you know, a concept called pervertibles. It's when Like you go to a kitchen store and you pick up a wooden spoon and it's like, you're not going to use it to cook. Maybe as as a uh, friend called it last night, you may be using it as a kitchen switch. Um, (laughs) Yes, you've had to be creative. If you've had to find workarounds, there's both, of course, incredible challenge and and disparity and unfairness, right? In that sometimes you have to like give yourself the permission that the community around you perhaps hasn't. And then there's also this form of privilege in, in having this breadth of knowledge about your own body more so than someone who just thought, I'm just going to go by what society says, because it kind of matches up with me. And then you don't get to explore all of this. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about, you know, like when we talk about how structures of oppression or privilege harms those who are privileged in various ways. Part of it is like, because you're not asked to think about something, like, I I think it's Jessica Fern and Polly Secure who talks about polyamorous folks. We've had to answer the question, why are we polyamorous? 
Like, what do we get out of it? So like with my monogamous clients, I will often say like, what do you get out of monogamy? It's fine. Like it doesn't make you more or less enlightened to be polyamorous. Like you'd have to be polier than thou to think that. But like, what is your why? What do you get out of monogamy? How does that serve you? When we interrogate these kind of cultural scripts, these stories about our bodies and our sexualities and eroticism and pleasure that we're handed, then we can dream all sorts of different ways of embodying eroticism. If you too want to stop apologizing for a particular body part or to feel as worthy of pleasure as you are, Lucy recommends distancing yourself from the cultural scripts around sex. From there, you can start questioning them. You can ask yourself, does that serve me? Is that the kind of world that I want to live in where I am letting someone else tell me what is desirable? or what is pleasurable. Then comes what Lucy calls embodied revisioning. In trans sex, they wrote, to engage in embodied revisioning is to leverage the distancing brought about by the mystifying mode, to revise one's understanding of one's sexual body. Maybe one of the things you do is you think about the names you use for your parts. And this goes for like cis people and and trans folks, by the way, because like how many vulva owners, you know, have strong opinions on like cunt versus pussy, for example. And then, you know, a second thing is like, okay, what energies and intentions can I bring to my body, to my partner's bodies? You know, because you can do so many things from different energies and intentions what my friend and colleague, Princess Kali, calls the kernel kink. It's that shift in, like, what do you want to feel during this activity? It's almost more important than what activity are we going to do. Or you could put it this way. How do you want to feel by the end of the activity? Do you want to feel strong? Do you want to feel broken down? Do you want to feel adored? Do you want to feel worshipped? Do you want to feel humiliated, punished? Whatever, you know, whatever you want to feel is good or is negotiable. You can also think about different intentions or energies with respect to particular body parts. So for example, my colleague, sex educator, Jamie Joy in in Philly talks about bobbing versus swirling in oral sex, you know, and so like you bob a penis and you swirl a clitoris, but who says, why can't you bob a clitoris? Why can't you swirl a glance penis. No one says you can't. And it turns out that if you bring that different energy and intention to those parts, that a lot of yummy things can happen. Thirdly, take a page from Lucy's experience and decenter genitalia, or another part of your body that you tend to focus on during sex. You could try this as a one-time experiment, as ongoing play, or as something you dip into on occasion. You could say, okay, I'm going to focus on like the arches of my feet, or I'm going to play the three minute game with a partner 
The three-minute game was created by life coach Harry Faddis in 1998 for a BDSM workshop. The game was inspired by a line from the poet Rumi. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. It started with two questions. What would you like me to do to you for three minutes? And what would you like to do to me for three minutes? Betty Martin, the sexological body worker we mentioned earlier, adjusted the questions to, how do you want me to touch you for three minutes? And how do you want to touch me for three minutes? And there are countless ways to spend those minutes. Maybe I like catwalking on my forearm. Maybe that's pleasurable. Or maybe I like like a really hard scratch or whatever. So you find out those, those kinds of sensations. We are polymorphously perverse playgrounds of wonder. And as soon as we recognize that our bodies are capable of so much pleasure, so much erotic joy and imagination, then so much opens up. polymorphously perverse playgrounds of wonder. I love that phrase. By the way, the term polymorphous came from Sigmund Freud, of all people, the founder of psychoanalysis who is known for his sexist and heterosexist views. Some people chalk those views up to the times he lived in. Anyway, not everything he said was bad. Polymorphous describes the idea that any part of your body can be an erogenous zone, not just the genitals. As Lucy put it, a beautiful concept. She added that feeling less apologetic and more joyful about your body can start with figuring out what pleasure truly feels like for you. A lot of folks don't know what pleasure feels like in their body. If that resonates with you, Lucy suggests considering this. Chances are, you know what a negative sensation feels like in your body. You have some embodied awareness. Let's take that and let's let's use that as a as a base and then let's let's build out from that and let's find pleasure that way. In other words, use what you know of dysphoria, those feelings of distress to get to euphoria. Instead of just like, well, I'm going to resolve dysphoria because my feeling is I think that this goes for so many experiences. It is not sufficient for sex, for play to be simply not distressing or not painful, right? Like it has to be pleasurable. And if it's not, why the fuck are we doing it? I love that so much. And as you were sharing that, I was thinking of how many words we have for the pain in our body. You know, the doctor will ask you, is it a burning pain? Is it a stabbing pain? Is it an ache? You know, you have all these adjectives and pleasure in the body. So many people are like, it feels good. Orgasm. You know, those are kind of where we learn to go. So what's interesting about the examples you used is those are all images. And 
those are all sensation images, body sensation images. And so like what I would do with that is, okay, well, let's sit with that. Let's sit with that image that you're experiencing and just like honoring it, inviting it in and letting it kind of do its thing. If you struggle to come up with descriptors for how erotic pleasure feels in your body, consider how you feel during other pleasures. Like I love food. I love project cooking and I love savoring a bite of food. Sichuan food is is some of my favorite because of that hot numbing sensation that you get. I love that feeling of like an entire quadrant of my tongue just fell asleep. That's really pleasurable. It's like, I want to sit with that. And that's, that's what you do. You sit with those moments. You know, it's like if you're running and I, I don't run except to run away from things. Um, but, um, but I hear from people who actually enjoy running that like, you know, like you can run to a goal or you can notice like I'm running at sunset and oh my God, the sky is beautiful. Or I'm running barefoot and the blades of grass are dewy and they're tickling the arch of my foot as I'm running. Once you can see and describe pleasure in other parts of your life, it might be easier to notice and experience it during sex. And all of your efforts to explore pleasure and discover more in your sexual self can benefit your whole self. Lucy knows this well from experience. How has all of that work in your own life impacted you beyond sexual embracement and, and sexual pleasure? You know, it, it helps me radically dream more. One of my favorite queer theorists Jose Esteban Munoz talks about the present is a toxic place for, for queers. He describes it as a prison house, the here and now, you know, because it's steeped in pragmatism. And I think a life steeped in image and story and sensation and movement and connection, they allow us to dream, to distill a future from something beautiful, you know? And I think that that's what it's given me is it's, it's given me so much hope, even in the midst of these last two years where hope, connection, touch feel very precarious. I would say the last six years have felt that way for many of us. It helps me hold on to hope. It helps me dream. And to recognize that better worlds are possible and that the worlds that we have are redeemable. They can be tended and thus bear fruit again. Part of Lucy's dreaming led to their book, Transsex. Do you remember the moment or the moments when you decided to write your book? The book came from a lot of pleasure, but it also came from a lot of anger. And I, I wonder if you had similar experiences 
um, co-writing with pleasure, you know, um, that, that sense of like, this is a book about pleasure. It's a book about embodiment, but it comes from a lot of pain too. And a lot of painful experiences. And I think rage can be clarifying sometimes. Here's one example. Lucy recalls times when she would be sitting in an inclusive workshop learning about different types of sexual desire one day. Then soon after, they would be sitting in a doctor's office hearing the myth that estrogen therapy causes, quote unquote, your sex drive to drop off a cliff. The ways members of the media treat and describe trans folks have also fueled that pain and clarifying rage. You know, if you look at so many interviews with figures in the trans community by some cis journalists, it's like, you must prove to me that you are trans, that you are a woman. And so experiences like that shook me to my core. And so that that moment of rage helped me say, like, we can dream better. There can be different ways of being and being with. And lastly, I would say like experiences like this. I learn very iteratively and I write very iteratively. And so like I would kind of workshop some of this stuff over the years. And as like I start turning to thinking about like what's next, what sticks and like what kinds of questions do I get and how does that enlarge my imagination? The answer to that, in my opinion, is powerfully. Transsex is such an important, impactful, and wonderfully written book. Since I spoke with Lucy, it was named the winner of the ASECT Book Award for Sexuality Professionals. Congratulations, Lucy. It is so, so well-deserved. To learn more about Lucy Fielding and their work, visit lucyfielding.com. That's Lucy with an I-E, fielding.com. Lucy is also active on Instagram at sexbeyondbinaries. And if you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate it if you would post a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the iTunes Store. And please do tell your friends about it. You can also support the show while getting fun bonus content by joining my community at patreon.com slash girlboner. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>